We're going to read the Bible together now. My name's Ali and I attend the 8.30 service and it's my privilege to visit today and read the Bible with you. So we'll be reading from John chapter 7, beginning at verse 25 and finishing at verse 44. If you would like a Bible to read along with me and you don't have one, please raise your hand and someone will bring you a Bible so you can follow along with me. So John chapter 7 beginning at verse 25. And prior to this passage, we learn that Jesus is preaching at the temple and he's calling out the religious authorities who want to kill him for healing on a holy day. So let's pick it up at verse 25 in John chapter 7. At this point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time. And then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, The people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him.
Well, thank you, Ali, friends. Good morning. Great to be with you. Great to see the room full. My name is Pete Stedman. I'm the Senior Minister here at Norwest. Uh, and it's great to be able to open God's Word with you. Can I encourage you to leave uh, John 7 open? That would be very helpful as we spend some time in this together. Well, it was many years ago now that Bree and I, my wife and I, found ourselves uh, on a short-term mission trip uh, in Kenya where we had 10 days of sharing Jesus with the people we met across the city of Nairobi. And on one occasion, we found ourselves speaking about Jesus to people in a slum called Korogocho. Uh, northeast of the city and home to around 200,000 people. Uh, this was a hard place to live, to work, and to raise a family. And I remember once uh, I, I was in the middle of a street in Corrigocho with one of the local pastors who served uh, in a small church there, speaking with a group of locals who had ended up being around me who were significantly animated and significantly dismissive of what I was saying. It was slightly tense. For I was sharing about how Jesus was the only way someone could be saved from sin. And as I was speaking, a woman came forward and got right up in my face. She was drunk, stunk of alcohol and was loud. Yet she wanted to whisper in my ear, And she whispered to me, Jesus could never forgive me for I have done terrible things with my body. You see, for this woman, like most women in that context, for this woman to survive and feed her children, she needed to make and sell bootleg liquor and prostitute herself. I said to her quietly, Lady, there is no hole too deep that the Lord Jesus Christ cannot lift you out from. And in the middle of the street, in the dust and the dirt and the disdain around us, she fell on her knees and said, I need Jesus. We prayed with her and she then led us back to her home. Uh, where she uh, went inside and then came out with litres of liquor that she had brewed. She started pouring it down into the gutters, just like that. And I remember her neighbours then coming out saying, what has happened to this woman? We've never seen anything like this. A week later, we went back to her house to visit her. She looked like a different person, sober, quiet, clean, and about to start on a new endeavour of being trained as a seamstress so she could make a new living to support her family. It was amazing. Uh, And I can remember everything about it, uh, the sights, the smells, the whole situation actually. And 20 years on, it's like it's been seared into my mind. One of those moments that just stays with you. Here's my question for us all today. What happened there? What happened there? That's what we're going to investigate and think about more today. Brothers and sisters, friends and guests, so good to have you with us. If you are new amongst us, uh, it's brilliant to have you here. We are halfway through a series that we've called 
God According to John, a series where we're wanting to meet our God on His own terms, where we are wanting to go beyond the well-known stories we love into some of the deeper things that God teaches us about Himself through John, things that will stretch us and sustain us. And today we are in John chapter 7. And so let's start by getting our bearings. Where are we again? What's going on around us? What's happening? Have a look at John 7 verse 1. As John 7 opens, you'll see that we are on the cusp of a very significant Jewish festival that happens to uh, take place in Jerusalem. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. This is no small event, one of three big Jewish festivals, the other being Passover and Pentecost. But Tabernacles was probably the biggest And in verse 14, have a look at that, we find Jesus in the temple court, which means there are thousands of people around him. And he begins to teach. Now, for us to understand what's happening here, we're going to need to look in two directions. We're going to need to look backwards to Israel's history, back to what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. And then together, we're going to look forwards as we hear Jesus' own words and consider what he wants us to see. So let's look back. And the fact that we are at Tabernacles in Jerusalem is very significant. Verse 2 articulates that we're at Tabernacles. Other festivals are not mentioned throughout John, so this is really important. And it is there so we understand what's going on. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was a Jewish festival that had two key meanings. The first was agricultural. That is, this festival was a time when God was thanked for his rich blessing of rain that enabled crops to grow. So uh, to commemorate that, at the very heart of uh, this festival was a water-pouring ceremony where Jewish people would see water being poured out through these massive uh, vats or jugs and they would then give God thanks for the life-giving qualities of water that He had blessed with them. Now, the second meaning was historical. The name of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, looks back in time uh, to a period of Israel's history when they lived outside the Promised Land early on in the Old Testament. And because they were a people without a land, they wandered from place to place. They didn't have homes, so they lived in tents or tabernacles. That's what a tabernacle is. It's a temporary shelter. And as Israel moved from place to place, they would set up a camp. And at the centre of every camp they would set up would be a tent that the glory of God himself would dwell in. It was called the tabernacle of God. And this festival, this blessing of God's presence as he dwelt in their midst in the tabernacle from hundreds of years earlier is what they were now celebrating at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let's hear what Jesus has to say about this. It's in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. You know, it's easy to read John 7, hit those verses and sort of just roll on. But these two verses are very important. And the background of what the tabernacle, Feast of Tabernacles was all about, uh, gives these two verses uh, a whole new meaning for us. Remember the two meanings of the festival. The first, agricultural thanking God for life-giving rain, for water that enabled people to live. And here stands Jesus on the greatest day of the festival and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
So at this festival, thanking God for water that enabled Israel to survive, Jesus now stands in the middle of it and says, if you really want to live, come to me and drink. This is an amazing claim from Jesus. In essence, Jesus is saying here that he will be able to sustain Israel like God did. But now remember the second meaning of the festival, the historical meaning where Israel remembered that long ago they had dwelt in tabernacles and long ago God had dwelt in a tabernacle with them. But not anymore, right? Because the tabernacle in the wilderness had been superseded by the temple of God in Jerusalem. Israel were now settled in Jerusalem. They had their own temple. This was the new dwelling place of God. And so on the very steps of that temple, At the very festival that celebrates God's presence with his people, Jesus says this. He drops this bombshell. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now, I just said that's a bombshell. You might be looking at that thinking, really? I'm not sure how that's a bombshell. Bit sort of, you know, you've gilded the lily a bit there, Pete. No. Notice what Jesus is saying here. These words from Jesus are a direct claim from Jesus himself that he is the new dwelling place of God. It was the tabernacle, then the temple. Now Jesus stands at the temple and says, it is me. I am the place you can meet with your God. Now, maybe you look at that and think, I don't see that. Doesn't say that to me. Good point. He doesn't say it in so many words. But now I want you to hear the prophecy from Ezekiel 47 on the screen. Let me read it. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region where when it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. So wherever the river flows, everything will live. Now this is a picture Uh, of the last days. It's a prophecy when living water would run out from the temple and bring life to everyone it comes in contact with. This prophecy, along with others, very well known to Israel. And now Jesus stands on the steps of the temple and speaks of coming to him and drinking and streams of living water will flow out from those who do. You see, in these two verses... We hear Jesus interpret the whole Feast of Tabernacles in terms of himself. Jesus says, you thank God for rain. I am life-giving water. Come and drink from me. Jesus says, you thank God for God dwelling with you in the tabernacle and then the temple. I am the new temple. I'm God himself living amongst you. Can you see how the Old Testament background makes sense of what Jesus is saying here? But friends, we've got to go deeper. That's looking back. I now want us to look forward. I now want us to actually try to understand uh, what Jesus meant when he said these things. We've understood what he said, why he said it, but now what does it mean? And verse 39 is very helpful here for us. Can you look at that? Because this is John speaking and it's like an aside that he puts in to help us understand what's going on. John recognises that Jesus' words in 38 and 39, sorry, 37 and 38 are a bit cryptic. So if you're feeling that, that's okay. John thinks that too. Because then he gives us this. He says, by this, on the screen, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So John at this point lets us know that Jesus here 
at the Feast of Tabernacles is speaking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he speaks about two things. Here's the first. Jesus says here that it is the Holy Spirit who brings life. It is the Holy Spirit who brings life. So when Jesus stands and says, is anyone thirsty? He's directly speaking about the deepest human need. Not physical thirst, but the thirst of the soul. I'm sure you know as well as I do that we live in a time where physically we lack little. We can drink what we want, eat what we want, travel where we want, buy what we want, date whom we want, scroll when we want. We are some of the wealthiest, most privileged, least suffering generations of people who have ever lived on this planet. But the thirst of our souls has never been greater. As people search for meaning and purpose, trying to make their mark or follow their path or be true to themselves, the sense of pressure to uh, be who you are has never been greater. And particularly for the youngest generations now coming through who have been the, the greatest recipients of our wealth and comfort. For the new privileged and self-actualised generation coming through, the pressure on them to succeed has never been greater. Why? For they have been told and fared over and over that they are the captains of their own destiny. Until, of course, life gets in the way and interferes with that narrative like it does for every one of us and what you have been told is true crumbles around you. Brothers and sisters, we are a thirsty people who live amongst thirsty people. We are a people who instinctively drink from the wrong taps. We are a people who think we have found something that has quenched our thirst only to find that we grow thirsty again. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink, calls Jesus. Are you thirsty? Is your soul part? Then the only place to find water that will never leave you dry again is in Jesus Christ alone. You know, I started the sermon today by asking, what happened to that lady in the dust and the debris of Corrigocho? She found living water. She met Jesus. That's what happened to that lady. She drank living water for she was so thirsty as every other place that she had gone to drink had left her dry. You know, standing that day in the street in Corrigocho, opinions abounded around me of who Jesus was. Most of them highly negative, a bit like John 7 actually. But one lady, one lady found Jesus. On his terms, not hers. And you know what? There's a lot of language in the Bible uh, used to describe what happened to that lady on that day, such as the eyes of her heart were opened. She moved from death to life. She started to walk in the light. Her heart of stone was replaced with a heart of flesh. She came home. She woke up. She was forgiven. 
She was restored. She was washed clean. She found peace. She found health. She became a citizen. She became a son. She was paid for. She was released. But we can add one more to that. She drank from the one who pours out living water. And there is a word given to this in the Bible. It's called regeneration. It's the idea that, and the language of new life, of people being brought back from being dead spiritually to life in Jesus. And it is always the work of the Holy Spirit. Always the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, where do we see that? Uh, all over. John 3, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. He says this, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, Israel's teacher, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. John 16, Jesus speaking, talking about when the Holy Spirit comes. He says, and he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment like that lady was convicted in the dust of Corrigotcho. Brothers and sisters, have you been born again? Are you still thirsty? Then come and drink from the one who gives the only water that will slake your thirst. If you come and drink, that will be the work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the first thing we see. That's the easy one. Here's the hard one. The second thing we learn about the Holy Spirit in our lives from what Jesus says here is verse 38. Have a look at verse 38. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. This is a strange idea. You don't see it anywhere else. Streams of living water that will flow from within the believer. What does that mean? Jesus is saying here that when you trust in him, and when His Holy Spirit comes to live in you, the blessing of God's Holy Spirit in your life will be like a living stream of water that flows up and out and from you. Now, we need to think about this for a bunch of reasons because what Jesus tells us here is that when God's Spirit comes to dwell in His people, you are not a pond, but a river. We're not a pond, where God's Spirit has been poured and He sort of just sits inside us, a bit stagnant and a few mozzies flying over the surface now and then. I mean, we feel a bit like that at times, don't we? No, Jesus says here, when you come to Him and drink, you don't get a single drink, you get a fountain that cannot be turned off. You get an experience of God, but you actually get Jesus Himself and He overflows in you and overflows in you and overflows in you. The Scottish theologian Oswald Chambers puts it like this. Jesus did not say here in John 7, he that believes in me shall experience the fullness of the blessings of God. Now that's interesting because in our individualistic approach to pretty much everything in this world, that's often how we feel, isn't it? That God's Spirit dwells in me that I might be filled. Listen to how Oswald goes on. Jesus did not say... He that believes in me shall experience the fullness of the blessing of God, but that he that believes in me, out of him shall escape everything he receives. That's a new idea for many of us. That everything God pours into you, pours out of you. Not a pond, but a 
River. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> Let me try to explain. I wonder if it's a bit like this, that when you are a Christian and you live for God in this harsh world and you have God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit living within you, then wherever you go, whatever you do, you have the opportunity to leave a Christ-shaped imprint on all you do, upon the people you speak to, upon the relationships you're in, the choices you make. You bring light and life with you because the blessing of knowing God and having His Spirit inside you leaks out of you. So you've received God's grace. You're gracious. You've known God's kindness. You're kind. You've seen God's holiness. You love justice. You've known God's righteousness. You hate sin. A Christ-shaped imprint all around you. And that is so different when you think about it to our self-obsessed, self-centred, self-determining world. You leave a mark, an imprint, an impression, but not of you, but of your King as streams of living water flow from within you. Now, I know that'll be a new idea for some of you and it's a tricky one. So I'm about to finish having raised more questions than I've answered, which is always a good sermon. But I want to finish with a story that perhaps might make this a bit more concrete for you. A story of how streams of living water can do flow up and out of God's people, impacting and leaving an imprint of Christ wherever people may go. Last week, I caught up with a man from Norwest. We do this every month or six weeks or so. And I asked him how his year had started and he told me this story. His son has a significant disability and a number of special needs. And his son has recently finished school and has now got his first job where he's been for a few months. And his parents have been praying for him that God would take care of their boy in all his vulnerability in a harsh and unfair world. His job is working in a large local hotel where he works as a kitchen hand. And one day last week, oh, recently, during his lunch break, he was sitting having his break, having his lunch, listening to music on his phone. And the manager of the whole hotel walked past him and she stopped and she said to him, how are you going? I'm good. He said, what are you listening to? I'm listening to Christian music. Do you like Christian music? I do. Are you a Christian? I am. Well, I'm a Christian too. Isn't it great that we both get to serve our God working in this place together? 
Now, the mother of that boy from Norwest, he's not a boy, the mother of that young man at Norwest then got a phone call from this manager of the hotel the day after. And she said this to her. She said, look, I just wanted to reach out and say hi. I'm a Christian and at our church, we've been praying that God might bring along some more Christians to work at my hotel and to bring the light of God to people here who so need to hear him. I just wanted to let you know that your son is the answer to that prayer. Now, that's amazing, right? Because I'm not sure if I was his parents, I would even dare ask God that he would provide something so remarkable for my son. But they did. And friends, that is the Holy Spirit of God at work. The Holy Spirit who causes parents to pray for their vulnerable son in a sharp-edged world. The Holy Spirit who causes a manager to pray that God would fill her workplace with believers. The Holy Spirit who draws together two people in a workplace, a very senior manager and a very junior kitchen hand to glorify our God together. The Holy Spirit who reminds that lady and that boy of all Jesus said and did. The Holy Spirit who helps and comforts God's people in their time of need. And when you trust in Jesus, He brings God to you for the Holy Spirit dwells within you and streams of living water flow from within you. You can leave a Christ-shaped impression wherever you may go. John 7, we're on the steps of the temple. Jesus claims to be God. But it's not just a claim. It is also an invitation. Come and drink. Come to me and drink. And yet the invitation is more than that because Jesus doesn't invite you to come to him merely because he's God. He actually offers that he will bring God, that Jesus will bring God to you, to bring himself to you in the person of his Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, if you take hold of Jesus, then His Spirit will live within you and streams of living water will flow from within you. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, you're amazing. (laughs) You are amazing that you do not leave us alone in this world, but As we turn to you, you give us yourself. You bring yourself to us. Help us recognise that you live within us. Help us know that we can bring an imprint to this world of you, Father, and your Son, Jesus, by the promptings of your Spirit within us. Help us grieve not the Spirit. Help us walk in step with the Spirit. And may the Spirit always remind us of all Jesus said and did. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.